Guys, I recently started using Rosetta Stone to brush up on my Spanish and explore some new languages. Believe it or not, growing up, my grandpa spoke fluent Mandarin, and I was always very jealous of him when he would surprise people by busting it out at a restaurant. It was very unexpected to see this man speak fluent Mandarin. Learning another language is an amazing skill, and Rosetta Stone makes it easy to do it. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted expert for 30 years, with millions of users and 25 languages offered. It's also a great value. I personally got the Lifetime membership, which includes all 25 languages, so I'm pretty much set. I recommend doing the same. And also, this is a really, really great gift if you want to give something truly special and unique to somebody you care about a lot. No matter what, don't put off learning that language any longer. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, other world listeners get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com otherworld. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash otherworld today. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Welcome to Otherworld. I'm your host, Jack Wagner. This episode is the final episode of an ongoing series I've been doing. If you haven't heard those other episodes, you should go back and listen. I suggest starting at episode 20 and going from there. Today's episode is a little different than how we normally do things on the show. At the end of the last episode, I mentioned that I came across a declassified CIA document called The Gateway Process that really took me by surprise. As you know by now, I've been hanging around a clairvoyant named Wendy for a while and learning all about her firsthand experience with this awakening she had and everything that followed. Now, Wendy has a very specific Wendy-style way of talking about things. And I think for some people, it's really easy to write her off when she says things like, Everything is energy. We're all part of one field. You could tap in and receive information if you're open, and so on. I've been interviewing her with an open mind for months and digesting her experience. I could tell something was going on with her, but I think I was even guilty of chalking up some of this stuff as like hippie terminology, for lack of a better word. But then, by chance, I ended up reading this document called The Gateway Process, and as I was reading, I was seeing so many things that Wendy described to me, laid out in extreme detail, backed up by theoretical physics that was far beyond my level of understanding. In fact, most of the stuff in this document is far beyond anything I could begin to comprehend, which is why today I'm gonna be bringing on somebody to help me out with that. But before we get to that, I should give a little overview because there's a lot going on here and this could be really hard to follow. So, during the Cold War, The U.S. was experimenting with a lot of unconventional ways to spy on the Soviets. In 1978, the U.S. Army and Defense Intelligence Agency formed a secret unit that was eventually called Project Stargate. A lot of you have probably heard about this or seen movies about it. They're basically studying psychics and remote viewing in hopes of using it in war. Lots of that was kind of bizarre and funny, like using tarot cards to find missiles and such. But this specific document 
that we're talking about today is not like that. It's very thorough and very specific. It focuses on a place called the Monroe Institute. Now, the Monroe Institute was founded by a guy named Robert Monroe. And Robert Monroe was a radio broadcast executive and a very curious guy who began doing these experiments on himself in the 50s. And he was trying to figure out if you can learn while you're asleep by listening to recordings. And during one of these experiments, he started having strange sensations. And he kept tinkering around with that. And eventually, weeks later, it led to him having this full out-of-body experience. In fact, he coined the term out-of-body experience. Anyway, Robert Monroe, because of this, he went on to found this place called the Monroe Institute that specifically researches human consciousness. Now, fast forward almost 30 years later, and the United States intelligence is sent to go investigate the Monroe Institute and find out exactly what it is that they're up to. That's where it gets interesting and much more complicated. The document we're talking about today is a summary of the studies the Pentagon did on the Monroe Institute. Not only does the Monroe Institute believe that people like Wendy exist and can do the things they claim to be able to do, they also have a detailed explanation of how they can do it, and they also say that they've developed a system to give other people these same abilities using something called the gateway process. Now, the gateway process is very complicated, but it's basically a series of acoustic waves that are played to a person using a special set of electromagnetic headphones. They say that this causes the brain to begin oscillating at a particular frequency that allows us to perceive information that we can't normally perceive. They also say that this information is already out there and our brain just is not operating at the level necessary to receive it, but their system could change that, or so they claim. I know this all sounds like a big conspiracy, but I promise you, this is a real thing. You could read about it yourself it got declassified in 2003. We really did study this. Not only that, the lieutenant in charge of overseeing the entire operation, Stargate Project, eventually went on to become the president of the Monroe Institute after he retired from the army. This show normally focuses on first-hand experiences, but when I began reading this stuff, my mind could not stop racing and considering how even if part of it is true, how much of an effect it could have on the stories that flood my inbox for this show. If it's possible that certain conditions can enable our brain to perceive information that we normally can't, even just for a brief moment, what would that look like and what would it feel like for the person it's happening to? Could that possibly be related to some of the stories we hear about on this show? So, like I said, this document is very dense and references a lot of concepts that I simply don't understand. So I sent it to my friend Sidhu, who has a PhD in molecular biology from Harvard and is currently doing his postdoc research there. And I consider him a very skeptical person. In fact, I've reached out to him in the past specifically to debunk some things that I consider paranormal. I wanted to see if he thought this had any merit and if so, if he could possibly explain it to me in a way that I could understand. So this episode is going to be a conversation between the two of us diving into the CIA document together and seeing if we can make any sense of it. This is episode 24. The title is The Gateway Process, and you're listening to Otherworld. Hello? 
Bobby? Yes, it is. We're still, you still rolling? Yeah, let us, let us know when you're ready. Okay, hey, um. That's a fail for the asking question. You just tell me Samoa and the Pacific Islands get pretty superstitious. This is a, a story about. It just like comes out like that. Why don't you explain your background first and what you do for a living, your education, and so forth? Yeah, so I, in general, have been very stoked about science since I was, since I was pretty young. Um, couldn't really make a decision about what I wanted to study in college, so I, so I majored in uh, physics, math, and chemistry to try to maybe figure everything out, um, which leads you down some very like, sort of philosophical paths of uh, what can we know and what can't we know about the, about the natural world. Um, but I, more recently in my PhD and then recent research, have sort of turned my attention towards um, biology and trying to understand, well, can we use some of these like, more quantitative tools that we use to explain the universe and um, you know, apply them towards understanding how a cell works or you know, how, you're, how maybe we can do things that would be considered possibly superhuman, like regenerate your skin if you get a cut you know, instantly. Um, or, or make a person sort of biologically younger um, than, they, than they actually are in real life, um, which is like a big topic of study. So hmm. I find these questions really interesting. So the interface between physics, math, chemistry, life, biology. Um, so um, but you are a researcher at Harvard. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you're at Harvard right now. You're speaking to me from the Harvard campus doing your postdoc yeah, research, I'm in the right? chemistry department right now, um, doing my postdoc there. I think I explained to you that I have been doing this multi-episode series about this person. I don't think I've told you that much, but they have kind of had some very, very bizarre things happen to them through their life. And they explained to me this whole process of like experiencing this awakening um, that's completely changed their life is now like their career, using that to help people. And she doesn't quite understand all of it. She knows just from her own personal experience. But then I stumbled across this CIA document about the gateway process when they're researching this stuff, basically trying to like, it seems like they're trying to weaponize astral projection in the 80s. But it was mind-blowing reading this document where they're laying out how they think this might actually work. I'm reading it and it's so similar to what she described from her lived experience. And honestly, there's a lot of stuff in this document that I just don't quite understand because I don't have the knowledge. So I told you to read it and Mm -hmm. come back so we could discuss it. And maybe so that you could explain what they're saying to me, you know, explain it like I'm a five-year-old. Let's go maybe explain it like I'm a 13-year-old. I'm not that stupid. (laughs) But either way, I'm excited to hear, like, what do you think? You just read, you, you read this document. Yeah, so first of all, it was, it was very interesting because I think as you work through the document, I was trying to, trying to paint a picture, and I think it's really interesting to me because um, these documents get, get declassified and with like Stranger Things and you know, Men Who Stare at Goats and these sort of like pieces of media where we sort of laugh at like, you know, all the crazy things that you're trying to do to like, you know, figure out like, where the Russians were going to go next many decades ago. Um, you don't really think about it as like a real-world thing, but this is clearly a document that was produced maybe in the hopes of utilizing some of this stuff. And so you can see the writer work his way through these 
to simplify it, thing that they're studying is vibrations. It's literally, you know, studying vibes and they're studying frequencies. And um, they sort of split it into two ideas or two things. So like, you know, in physics, we learn about maybe high school physics, maybe intro college physics, we learn about like, oh, light can be like a particle or a wave. Um, and, you know, waves are a pretty useful way to describe a lot of things in physics. There's, you know, the molecules in our bodies um, have oscillations, they vibrate at certain, at certain frequencies, at certain energies. Um, but the, the crazy thing here, I think, comes out when they try to link multiple frequencies of things. So that in, in, in my mind, the sort of two halves that this, that this does is sort of a, like a real world, uh, you know, the more like tangible world frequencies, which are like, you know, if I, if I plucked a guitar string here, that's a pretty large thing that you can see, and that is a frequency. But there's also like, you know, the vibration of individual molecules and atoms that you can't really see. Um, and this hemisync idea is based on some real findings that people have seen in the brain using EEGs and other measurements of, of our brain activity. And it's this observation that when the brain is going through different periods of usage, for example, if you're solving a math problem or people have looked at brains of people that are listening to music or playing music, um, there'll be these different oscillations, these ebbs and flows of, of neural activity. And you can look at the frequencies of these oscillations and you can see that maybe you have a very high frequency oscillation when you're solving a math problem or a very low frequency oscillation when you're listening to music. Um, and there's different parts of the brain that these oscillations and activity come from. And so people just generally call them brain waves, which has been used a lot um, in sort of popular science. And it, and it raises this question of like, you know, if you're, if you're writing a sci-fi book, not to say that everything described here is science fiction, but, you know, somebody who's really acutely reading this stuff would ask, well, if you're saying that this frequency is solving a math problem, um, what if I have a frequency even higher than that or even lower than that? Would that make me do math better? Would it make me uh, the best you know, musician in the universe? Um, and so like that is sort of a, an idea that's explored, but that doesn't have you know, solid evidence that our brains can actually do that because all we're able to do is really watch people doing things. We're not getting to the point, I mean, you'd have to bring up sort of ethics in that case where you know, can, should, we, should we try to input these brainwaves into people? Should we try to like, you know, put, a, put some wires into their brain and make them feel a certain way? Um, a lot of these experiments are either just starting to be done in some mice or rats, but have not really been done in, in people. Yeah, so, so, so it starts with sort of a description, and it's, it's really useful to read this through because he sort of starts with him learning about these brainwaves, talks about these alpha, beta, gamma waves. Um, and then the next thing that he goes into is also something that people have brought up previously, which is, well, you know, when we hear a noise, um, our brain picks up that noise, our ears pick up that noise, our brain perceives that, and there's a spike of activity. But um, there's this idea of binaural beats, which is, <laughs> yep. you know, if we can play, yeah, this is sort of the, the groundwork for this hemisync idea. And I sort of think of hemisync as, it's, as a separate thing. So with hemisync, the idea is that you, you're playing these musical beats, which end up just being these intonations or things that are at certain frequencies. There's an effect that our brain... Um, does where if you're if your two ears are perceiving two slightly different frequencies, um, especially if they're I think this is this is based on um, mostly frequencies that are ten hertz apart, um, then you're you'll hear not only one frequency and the other frequency from your left and right ear, but your brain will perceive a third frequency, which is a very high pitched frequency that sort of arises um, at specific combinations of these frequencies. So people have really found this to be a replicable thing 
if you, you can set up like headphones on people and play two frequencies that are 10 hertz apart and, you, and people hear this third frequency. Now, whether that third frequency is doing, is just some, you know, a, a bug or a feature of the brain remains to be seen. I think that's where people, um, psychologists and neuroscientists really uh, differ. Um, you know, people listen to music a lot to calm themselves down and to enter a meditative state. And that music can be different for different people. <laughs> but there's a lot of people that have professed that, you know, doing this binaural treatment and getting that third frequency, that, that extra frequency that, you, that, that your brain perceives is like really good for meditation, makes them feel a lot calmer. And uh, that's where like the, the, the verdict is still sort of out. That's where the debate still stands um, on this treatment. And that's barely um, getting into this document too, because like... Oh yeah, that's just the first that's level. That's <laughs> barely scratching it. Like, okay, so we should get into the real part. And so the, mm-hmm. my very basic understanding from reading this is that basically like, it has to do with the left brain and the right brain, right? Um, yep. Whereas meditation is, you know, like transcendental meditation, you're kind of turning to turning off your left brain or trying to quiet it as much as possible. Hypnosis seems to be like isolating a certain part of the brain to people, right? Yeah. This, what they're saying is that certain people can reach this meditative state where the heartbeat becomes an even rhythm, mm-hmm. an even tempo, and that's affecting the brain and the brain waves and the brain fluid and activating some part of the brain that normally is not able to be activated, right? And then in turn, causing these people to be able to perceive something, you know? Basically, Mm -hmm. there's like this map, maybe we'll get into that, but there's this map in the CIA document where it's like this theorized illustration of the universe and what we can perceive. That was probably the most eerie part of it to me is that like, there's this map of the universe and our perception is just this tiny little part of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's, what was, uh, oh man, I, this, that's where we start getting into the stuff where I'm like, I really can't understand it. We're talking about like white holes, black holes, galactic north, <laughs> galactic yeah. south, um, the Taurus. So like absolute infinity, the Taurus, yeah. What is, yeah, okay, so we can't get ahead of ourselves, but what is, yeah. that's what they're saying basically with the, theoretically, it's causing this, like, your left and right brain to be working, like, completely evenly, right? Is that... Yeah, basically, there are, yeah, there are, like, if you connected a person to, a, to like, a EEG and you're looking at their brain activity, you look at the left, you look at the right, and you see that they're, you know, the, if you can sort of look down to the level of, you know, to a certain level with, like, different neurons, um, there's different sort of oscillations happening. But, again, the, the, the interesting thing here, which I think would raise the most eyebrows is that the oscillations that are happening in neural activity are all very, they are, they are, they're through like basically electricity. Um, the brain, the neurons are polarizing, depolarizing, um, and that's sending signals. And that's what's being measured when you, when you look at these brain, brain maps. Um, what they're describing is a very like, you know, mechanical oscillation. It's a different kind of oscillation, which they start talking about. Like, that's why I was sort of saying like, until that point, like, they're not really saying anything wrong about the brain they're not it's not anything that even people at in 1983 would have would have argued against um, I think we if anything have more evidence now that that's you know there are oscillations in neural activity 
they are different when you do different things. We're still learning a lot. I mean, like, if you go to any sort of, as, as a scientist, you go to neuroscience talks and you'll be surprised at what people don't know. Really basic things like being hungry or thirsty or solving a math problem. Um, it's when they start to connect those oscillations and then say, well, you know, what's a way of beating this whole, like, these limitations and oscillations? A lot of this document is like limitations and oscillations, right? If you could just oscillate a little further, if you could oscillate into like this sort of state of being, then think of like the things you could see through these oscillations. And then the way they proceed to was doing that is, like you said, through this sort of like breathing exercise that, you know, attunes your entire body. And rather than your brain being like this electrical computer with all these depolarization and polarization events, it's your brain is just this thing that's actually sort of like moving up and down within the fluid of your skull. Um, and, and, you know, if you're doing that sort of globally to your entire brain, then that's like, you know, and training both parts of your brain um, at once without treating them um, as two separate parts, like they are used to being. And I think that's where the sort of the beginning of my, of my, of my skepticism started, because there is not really a clear link at this point between, like those would be, like, I think a mechanical push or like a poke, is something that can be perceived by cells and perceived by biology, but there's little to no evidence that that necessarily operates via the same sort of like axes of that your brain would perceive. And so there's, when the biology sort of gets into it, it feels a little bit less, a little bit less credible that this could be the case. Um, but that's like the first, I think the two like big links that I saw that where they're really like asking you to like have faith in their, in their system is the first link is the link between like your own body's movement and those, those neural connections, number one. And then number two is like the sort of crazier one that we will probably get into a little bit later, which is all of those connections linking into this like quantum realm of a, a very, very high frequency. Well, yes. And that is exactly why I'm doing this in the first place, actually, because I think I've mentioned to you that I am doing this whole story about this woman who had awakening. She describes it as a kundalini awakening, which I thought it was interesting to see that mentioned alongside a lot of this Monroe Institute stuff. But a lot of her firsthand experience lines up so much with what's described in this document. And these high frequencies, the high frequency quantum realm stuff, basically her describing the ability to perceive information from like this quantum realm, essentially. And sometimes it is jumbled, but being able to perceive it in a very scrambled, confusing way at times, it really, really lines up with the theories in this paper. So just even the fact that they're researching this at all was very shocking and eerie to me to see, you know, because this person, I've been around her for a long time. She's not crazy. She's not crazy and hanging around her, you could see something's happening with her. I don't know what it is, but something's happening with her. And even if a lot of the stuff in this research and this document is wrong, there might be part of it that's onto something, you know? So what part do you think we should go to next? Um, well, so like one of the things that they talk about is um, it's on page 15, where they talk about this, like, you know, you have this energy oscillation. And then after a certain length scale, which is like this 10 to the negative 33 centimeters, which is incredibly tiny, you can imagine. Um, you get to sort of point where like, this is where the writer gets, but he gets to this point where he's sort of, 
very beautifully like describing it as like, you know, we don't really have definitions for what goes on in this space. <laughs> um, once you get beyond this length scale, like we don't really know what happens. And that's actually, I mean, it's labeled as such, but it's this idea of Planck's distance. What is Planck's distance? It's sort of de- described as many things. Um, I've seen it described as like one of basically the smallest sort of measurable unit. These are things that are that are relevant to physicists in general because like, you know, you can imagine in your head, it's like a sort of, um, it's like the opposite of that, like uh, the phantom toll booth, like, you know, imagine the biggest number and then add one and then add one, add one, right? Like it's the same thing where it's like, well, imagine something smaller than that and smaller than that, and smaller than that. Um, but Planck's distance is really like, you can theorize a smaller distance. You can make this 10 to the negative 34th. But in terms of like this distance's effect on, on like, science and the effect on like physical phenomena that people can see in like particle physics, for example, this is like one of the smallest distances that sort of has relevance and people don't really know there might be things or some people say there must be things happening at a smaller scale than this, but we have really no idea what's going on. We barely really understand what's going on at this Planck's distance. But the link here is less, I think, about that and more about this idea that like, well, we talked about vibrations. We talked, we did this first link, which I think is like, you know, our brain has waves and our body has waves and they mention the sort of vibrational energy of the earth. You know, like the earth's mantle itself having this vibrational energy and, and moving at this like low frequency and us being able to match that frequency and maybe utilize it the way maybe you'd like break a glass by singing and it's certain resonating frequency. We can use it to sort of resonate through the earth and connect. So it's our vibrations connecting to those vibrations. Um, but then there's this idea about like, you know, going... Uh, smaller than the scale of the Earth. Instead of zooming out and looking at us in relationship to the world around us, like the Earth, zooming in and being and asking really, like, can we approach vibrational realms that are at or beyond the level that, like, sort of physics can describe? And that was a little, a little bit crazy for a few reasons. I think that there are definitely things happening in your body. For example, like, you know, we we are at our core made up of atoms and electrons and you know, molecules and things like that, which, as I've said, do have these vibrational energies. But I think the I think the point is is not necessarily that those things are inside of us or that they are operating at these like vibrational frequencies, but more that we have any control. That's where it starts to get a little meta, right? Like I am made up of these parts. I am made up of these atoms, and so to what extent can a can a human sort of recursively then control things that are you know making the building blocks of what they are? And the idea that, you know, in 10 days, somebody can learn, like, these specific techniques, which are operating on energy scales that are very different um, and vibrational frequencies that are very different, that's where it started to get a little bit crazy. But I did think it very interesting that this guy in 1983 was getting into some of the sort of, I wouldn't say this is like niche physics, but it was definitely not, like, people are a lot more focused on things that are more directly applied to, like, wartime. Like, you know, if you were, like, a really smart physicist, you were going and studying, like, combustion and like, you know, splitting the atom. And maybe you're thinking about these things, but um, I think this guy did a remarkably deep dive. Um, and I can, I, I, I can tell you honestly, this goes beyond like, you know, the 2022 college physics curriculum or even a lot of the grad school curriculum. Um, so it was, a, it was a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, you know, we've talked before about how there's a lot of stuff, especially in the world of new age, where science and physics is mentioned, but they're playing very, very fast and loose with it to the point where anybody that knows even a little bit about physics looks at it and they're like, oh, this is complete nonsense. Just they're using the words. It doesn't make any sense. It seems to me that 
you are saying that while these theories are very far out there, it is based in reality. These are connected to real theories and concepts in physics. Um, and it lines up with your understanding of how the universe works. Basically, it's plausible. Is that what I'm understanding? Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. So I this know is, I sound so, dumb, but... <laughs> no, no, this was... Not at all. This was... Um, that was one of the more remarkable things I found about this because at, at its core, the science, you can't argue with the fact that there are length scales that are at the Planck constant. You can't argue the fact that we do have oscillations in our brain. And I think that um, a really nice thing it does is it would serve, I think, to bring at least a small group of people into the fold of like, you know, how can I connect something that makes me feel spiritually very good, like meditation, to maybe like, maybe, maybe use that to, to learn a little bit more about like the physical universe and, uh, and like sort of understand like what might be going on that we can't prove or disprove necessarily. Yeah, and to be clear, really nice. like, I don't know that this can necessarily be taught to people easily. I think I've heard anywhere from like five to 10 years if you were going to learn it, but the person I'm doing the story on, it just kind of happened to them. They weren't trying. Like right. they, just one day it, it kind of hit them. And the spooky thing about this is that, I forget if it was mentioned in here or somewhere else I've read, but it could happen that like theoretically this can accidentally happen to people who are being hit by those same wavelengths and the same rhythm. Right. So right. There's reports of this happening to truck drivers and guys that work on like AC ducts. And, yeah. you know, I think the thing that we haven't in, like explicitly said yet is that when this happens to you, theoretically, you're able to perceive other dimensions, essentially, like perceive mm -hmm. things that we normally, that are there, but we normally can't see. So this could be yeah. information, like pull it, like downloading information from the quantum sphere, I guess, or like communicating with other dimensional beings or things like that. Whatever it is, I mean, I've heard a lot, like the person that the story's about, man, like she's like talked about like going into deep trance and like communicating with people, other beings that like have time and like earth like laid out, almost like flicking yeah. through an iPhone photo and like just mm -hmm. going through time and space, like showing her things. And... Yeah she describes the quantum realm as like being completely jumbled and flat. Mm -hmm. Things in your life, she's like pulling things out randomly um, because yeah. it's all mixed up and jumbled. It's not chronological. Um, a lot of very, very interesting things. I don't know how to describe them other than that. But I think where this becomes really interesting to me is if, if theoretically there is more out there that we can't currently perceive. Our brains cannot perceive it or our senses. Or maybe there is some type of sense that we haven't quite developed yet. And if it briefly turned on for a second, like what would that be like? I, on this podcast, hear stories all the time of people seeing very strange things all of a sudden. And sometimes beautiful things, but there's patterns. There's obvious patterns from these people. And a lot of patterns are very weird. It's not just like stuff they read on the internet. So to me, what's really, really interesting is maybe there is some kind of future understanding of this. You know what it reminds me of is deaf people when they get cochlear implants, which I believe is a, like a sound processor that stimulates the nerve inside their ear. Is that how it works? Yeah, it's, it's helping them through that, like that intermediary step of like taking in stuff from the environment and then like some sort of battery powered, like, you know, sending that sense into, in, into, their, into their ear. 
But if you have, if you don't have the certain, like, you know, the, the, the inner ear, the bones that help process that information normally, then you need some kind of intermediary machine, basically. I've heard it's really unpleasant for people when they get the cochlear implant at first. It basically comes in a static. Um, and their, but their brain eventually gets used to it and kind of learns how to use those signals. But I've read that it's extremely unpleasant and a lot of people don't want it pretty much immediately after getting it. It's not like they hear music all of a sudden. It's just like pure, static, horrible, and confusing. I think it's overwhelming as well because all of the, the brain's all of a sudden having to do way more work. But it eventually gets good. So what's, what's really interesting to me in talking to you about all of this stuff in the document and, and just the possibility that you know our brain could maybe do more, maybe perceive more, we don't know. But what's interesting is that if it could suddenly do that, receive information, essentially, like downloading information, let's just say that there's energy out there, messages that we're just not perceiving. If suddenly it turned on, it probably wouldn't work very well. Like our brain has limitations on how it would process that, right? right. Yeah, because you haven't like learned how to filter... There's probably a lot of garbage in there. Like if you could, there's a type, there's types of information, right, that we don't normally see. Like I could, I could, just because you could do that doesn't mean that that information would be high, that that data would be sort of high information content, right? Like, I don't know, there's, there's, there's a bunch of stuff here, right? Like, because there's all the different things that your, the cells in your brain or your brain as a whole can do in response to something unexpected, right? I mean, there might be a lot of examples of people where you get some sort of sense you know, if you if like in this in this sort of like hypothetical, you you can sense this thing. You can sense the thing that you could normally sense. Your brain, I guess, has sort of a fight or flight, right? It can either try to process it, given the time that it has, or it's like, no, I'm not going to tell them about it. It you know, it's just going to get filtered out, and maybe it's a dream or something. Yeah. Okay, we have to take a quick break, but we will be right back. I've said before that I do not get scared while making this show, but what does scare me is having to log into my bank account or pay attention to my personal finances in any way. I know that's bad, and I know that it does not make sense, but legitimately, what has recently helped me is using Rocket Money. It's a personal finance app that takes all of your accounts, organizes it into one place, and helps you get everything under control. I feel a lot better using it, and I'm no longer stressed. Also, Rocket Money finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I'm not kidding when I say that I recently discovered that me and my graphic designer, Colin, were getting charged $150 a month by a design service we didn't even realize we were paying for. I wish that was a joke. Sadly, it's true. We canceled it and are no longer paying for this. Thanks to Rocket Money. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash otherworld. That's rocketmoney.com slash otherworld. Rocketmoney.com slash otherworld. It's after bedtime, the kids are asleep, and the moms are out to play. We're Dina and Kristen, the duo behind the Instagram account, Big Little Feelings. I'm Dina, I'm a child therapist and mom of two who nerds out on all things neurobiology and psychology, and Kristen is a parent coach who wrangles three kids on a daily basis, here to give it to us like it is. We weren't meant to do this parenting thing alone. Consider After Bedtime your village. Follow After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Work out, read a book, maybe start a project that you've been telling yourself you would do forever? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to figure out how to make time for those meaningful things is to figure out if maybe there's some things you're wasting your time on that aren't so meaningful. Therapy can help you figure out what matters to you so you could do more of it. If you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, super easy, and convenient. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. You could switch therapists at any time if you want. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com otherworld to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot otherworld. I hate dealing with my cat's litter box. I'm pretty sure everybody else feels exactly the same way. If you don't, it's kind of weird. The less I have to think about it, the better. And I'm sure Merlin agrees. Sometimes I accidentally walk in on him while he's using the litter box, and it's very embarrassing for both of us. He looks very vulnerable in there. I always feel terrible. Pretty Litter absorbs smells so well and lasts for so long that I could truly forget about it. I could go days without scooping it or checking in. He could do his thing, and I don't have to worry about it. When I do clean up, it's very easy. There's no dust or smell. It's super simple. And, of course, the litter changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in Merlin, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues. Pretty Litter ships free right to my door in a small, lightweight bag. I never run out of it, and I don't have to have a huge container of litter taking up space and stinking up the room. So, Pretty Litter keeps tabs on your cat's health and keeps odors down. I think you and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as me and Merlin do. Go to prettylitter.com slash otherworld and use code otherworld to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash otherworld. Use the code otherworld to save 20%. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yeah. But, like, I think, I think like, wavelengths of energy are is another one of the sort of uh, you know, overarching themes of this like CIA document. People love talking about like different energies. Like you, you know, energy is like almost colloquially something. Like if you feel an energy a vibe, right? Like a bad vibe. <laughs> I think we were talking about this earlier too. Like a bad vibe is something that people at least claim to feel. You can feel like literally bad energy. You know, there's different energy sources. You can feel like it's too hot or too cold. Like that's a presence or absence of energy. But um, being able to sort of tap into different types of energy at these different wavelengths and frequencies is something that they talk about a lot um, in this in this document. This idea that like there's all these prevailing frequencies in the universe, we can only access some of them. But imagine if we could access more, which would fall into this like extrasensory sort of perception. And that's idea. kind of what we get into with like these little maps that are illustrated. The, honestly, the spookiest thing is how illustrated this stuff is. Um, yeah. Can you please explain to me, page 18, when we start talking about the Taurus, the black hole, white hole, universe, and hologram, what that... <laughs> Any, do you understand this at all? So... The, co- the cosmic a egg. Little, this, is, this, is pretty, this is pretty sort of heady stuff. Yes. Um, and again, this is one of the times I was like, this guy's making a huge effort. This is really actually pretty cool that he... I'm just imagining some guy like, you know, signing up for... To work, to work for the CIA and then, you know, um, having to learn all of this stuff. Um, to interpret the diagram that they're showing is like, um, so there's, there's, there's black holes, which like 
we've now like been able to get a picture of them, which is really cool. That was one of the big things in 2021, I think, or 2022. There's also like a theoretical reverse of that, which is a white hole, which just exudes you know matter and light, energy, all that stuff. So black hole sucks it in, white hole sort of puts it out. And the way the diagram that they drew in the CIA document was like almost like a attached white hole and black hole that were like near each other, where like at every moment, like things are coming out of the white hole, our galaxy somewhere there, and then they're like being sucked back into the black hole. So it's almost like this like cycle of being, you know. <laughs> but a lot of this stuff is like not something that you could show anyone a picture of. You'd have to say, well, these are the, this is the equation that describes what's going on in there. Yeah. Um, and that's where a lot of these structures like the, like the, you know, like the structures that he's drawing, right? Like the Taurus or like the space-time evolving, you know, you end up asking, well, like, you know, can there be like a boundary to the surface? Oh, no, there can't be a surface. I'm going to start thinking of like a toroidal shape or like a Mobius strip or something. And so it, it sort of invokes a lot of like, you try to, people try really hard and spend a lot of time thinking about like the geometries of space-time um, in these, in, in these states, definitely. So what do you think about this as a, as a, as a Harvard man? <laughs> oh, as a Harvard man who, doesn't, who hasn't thought about this sort of high-energy physics stuff that much, I think that like, I think multiple parts of this can be true in the sense that, like I said, I think like there are people who devote their lives to try to understand what happens to these like tiny time scales um, or length scales or at, at, you know, energies that we could have been fathomed that are, you know, higher than like the surface of, you know, you know, more energy than there is on like the surface of the sun or whatever. Um, I think that like the difference comes, it, it almost, it might give some people a sense of maybe powerlessness, but I think like there are a lot of things that are, um, that are in control of us. I mean, again, like, you know, if there's a lot of very like minute things going on with a, uh, with like an electron, our body has, you know, trillions upon trillions upon, you know, how many, you know, electrons, all the different atoms in our body, like those things are in many, if people think of things, if people think of life as very like deterministic, like, yes, you maybe are able to, if you can measure each electron in my body, you can predict like everything I'm about to do like today um, or on this call or after I, you know, after I go home for the night. Um, but I, it's less, it's less realistic, I think in my mind, at least currently to think of a way in which like we would be able to as such like big, like coarse, you know, beings be able to like do the reverse and control things on that, on that level. I think know, doing that. what gets me excited about this and why this is the first time that I, like doing this show that I've had a moment where I'm like, man, like I think this might be onto something and maybe my perception of things is actually changing. Okay, this is kind of how I look at it in like very much layman's terms. We're probably about the same age and we both remember the time when our computers didn't have internet. Like internet existed, mm -hmm. but most computers just like yeah. weren't hooked up to the internet, right? You like yeah. couldn't get a picture on there. You would put yeah. like CD-ROMs on you couldn't put anything onto it. It was just like your computer. I think that's how we generally think of our brains, right? You could like put information into it, out of it with like, by talking to people or whatever. But yeah. I think like with this stuff, theoretically, that there's like a Wi-Fi card essentially or Bluetooth yeah. in our brains yeah. that we don't know about. Like if you can imagine one of those old Windows 95 computers all of a sudden like enabling Wi-Fi, you didn't know was there. And then 
were able to, for brief periods, these people are able to download information not available normally yeah. or see yeah. things. Um, when only during times when they reach this like super relaxed place where that part of their brain is able to work. And to me, that is, I mean, first of all, amazing. It opens up like so many more questions, but then also starts to explain, possibly explain the huge amount of paranormal stuff I get submitted to me all the time that just like, like it's possibly, a, it's all connected right here where, yeah. you know, cause like why are so many people seeing things? Um, why do so many people see like spirits, weird cryptid things that just kind of like make no sense? Like, yeah. And some things become less scary. A lot of things become more intimidating and scary, but it is kind of like yeah. this connective thing where it's like, okay, maybe people are having these moments where just for a second, like their brain is reaching that and it's like activated for a second. They're able to perceive something that they normally can't. It kind of clicks and starts to make sense, you know? And even with like the UFO stuff, because I've heard like a lot of, people who have had experiences with that talk about how it's like telepathic communication almost like mm -hmm. even that could be explained that way. It's, um, yeah. it starts to open up a lot of doors <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. um, that's kind of how I think of this. And I don't know if that's like an incorrect way of interpreting it, but that's kind of a combination of reading these documents and talking to people who have lived through this. Yeah. So I think like, we generally intersect on that point. In my opinion, like using using like anything that is confined to like our bodies, like you know, me like you know slamming my fist on the table in a certain rhythm or something, right? Like that what what you refer to as control, right? Like going going in the smaller direction, trying to say like, well, I'm doing this in some way of getting to like some quantum state of whatever is a little bit less realistic. But I think again, one one of the reasons this is so compelling is that like we know just generally like our our bodies and our like realities sort of follow these rules because that is what makes up nature right like these are like the fundamental building blocks of 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 matter and so whatever rules at the quantum level or at the particle level you know are these things are following like we are somehow beholden to those rules so i in that sense yes like you can imagine in a sort of experimental sense like if somebody was doing like a really crazy like quantum physics experiment and you stepped in the way of that, I mean, most of the time people warn against going into those rooms because there's like a high amount of energy or lasers or this or that, right? But you can imagine like that is also like it is these things are not so separate that 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 thing on that scale cannot interact with you. A lot of the time it's like deleterious and maybe gives you like a burn from a laser or you like, you know, a lot of time it's with light, so people will, you know, guard against, you know, getting blinded or something by lasers. But that's still a type of interaction between the scales that these guys are talking about and and us. Um, on the sort of larger scale, I mean, this is more mechanical, but like, there's a reason that we don't go near black holes. Like, people are sort of cognizant of what happens to real things like stars and asteroids and stuff around these big structures and it's it's posited i think correctly that like if a human being went near that like we would not hear from them again unless they're going into this like hologram space that we know nothing about right um so in that sense of like that scale sort of communicating to us i think it's i think it's reasonable that like especially with the examples that you gave of the people who have 
gotten this sort of feeling like through things like real life things, right? Like different noises that they hear through like AC ducts or things. And I think that's, I think it's very realistic because it like, you know, tuning yourself to access that level of thing on that sort of like on a scale that you can hear is, is a realistic thing. Your brain is not used to that. Maybe you get this like higher level. Um, on the really sort of like out there ideas, um, like somebody seeing something that they couldn't see before. I think that kind of stuff is very understudied. I think it's, it, it definitely could be possible. This is not me saying that, you know, every single one of those things is like a quantum event or anything like that, but, you know, there's no reason to think that, like, the, those effects that are going on in our body at sort of like a normal, in a normal person could not be, like, you know, sort of tuned in a different direction by some weird event that happens. Um, um, and then what I will also say is that I think that you get to a, you get to one last step, which I think is very important, which is that, like, our brain is like a, is like a limited thing. And I'm not a, really a neuroscientist, but, like, you know, there's, our brain is finite. There's a finite number of neurons, and we our brain does crazy things, right? Like we will have dreams where we'll remember the dream will be indicative of some conversation we had like months ago. So I think that there's a last step that makes these stories and what you're doing sort of difficult to work through, and it makes it like a real challenge. Um, it's, a, it's quite an undertaking, which is that like at the end of all of this, our brain has to like do this weird job of like projecting maybe some crazy thing onto like a language that we can understand, you know, that we can actually think of. Like seeing somebody scrolling through an iPhone, not maybe not literally, but like that is still like a physical thing. The person is doing something. It's not like, I don't think people would say I saw pure, like, you know, there's, there's like structures in the universe, like these mathematical structures that we li- cannot easily imagine or visualize in three dimensions. And so all of these end up being like projections onto what a person can visualize. And so there could be things that, you know, something happens on like a very um, interesting like molecular level in your brain, but your brain has to do the job of trying to either ignore it and like maybe that neuron just dies or it tries to convey to you like, this is what I think you saw. Um, and so it becomes a person-to-person thing where I think maybe a lot of people could be having a similar like effect happen on a molecular level, but they all report slightly different things. It makes it a little bit challenging because... You know, this is going to draw on. This is yeah. a really interesting thing you're saying now, too. This is like opening up a whole other section as well. Yeah. Where it's like, and it's, and what the funny thing is that, like, this is like a scientific explanation that normally, you know, normally when you talk about that stuff in terms of the paranormal, it's in, it's dispelling these things like, oh, these people are crazy or lying or whatever. But like, this is something that will, like, if you were, if it was an explanation, it's like, oh no, they are experiencing something. It's actually like a lot bigger. Their brains are trying their best to make sense of it. I mean, everything that we perceive is just sound waves or light waves. And our brain is the thing that's processing it and turning it into what we think. If somebody says Sidhu, I imagine Sidhu in my head. That's just a sound. It's your name. It's sound, but I associate it with you. And then a mental image of you pops up. So perhaps there's other information out there that can be detected at various times and our brain is doing its best to kind of process it and turn it into an image even though it's never had to do that before. So, like, I think that's where I'm kind of getting at here with this stuff is to, like, maybe that could be what's going on here. And it doesn't mean that it's paranormal or not. It's just, like, maybe something that we'll understand later on, you know? 
I think the same thing happens with like, you know, you can imagine people responding in different ways to even these like binaural effects, right? Like if, if I'm just working, like if I'm, I mean, it's also very context dependent. If I go to a Monroe Institute person and they say, well, I'm going to play, I'm going to do this thing, right? Put headphones in your head. And I'm sort of primed to feel that way, right? I'm sort of primed to get ready for this third frequency. If somebody just like hears, like imagine like, it might be scary for some people, right? But they hear this like third frequency in their head. And that's all, this is without paying attention to like black holes or white holes or the quantum space or anything like that. That's just like a third thing that they're hearing. And so I think that a lot of these things have this additional layer of like, if your brain is primed to like project things onto a space that you can understand, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be like, no, the thing I heard was definitely like so-and-so that I've been thinking about that I haven't seen in a while. Or it's like this person who passed away who's like communicating to me. And so like what I'm saying is basically like what you're doing here is, is difficult. It's a, it's, a, it's a difficult undertaking because I feel like there's an interesting question of like, you know, listen, like listening to these stories and trying to find like a common thread if you really want to understand some effect that's happening. Um, it is sort of like deconvoluting it from like, you know, you know what, what maybe is the common thread between all of these and so we can pluck out the like person-specific things. I was 100% skeptical in this region going into not just making this show, but even like doing the things that led up to me making this show. This is like the one blind spot for me of like, I was honestly on board with maybe there's ghosts, maybe there's Sasquatch, maybe there's aliens, like like everything. But the one thing I was like, I don't really believe psychics for, some, for one reason or another. Um, and I, honestly, I probably, there, there's a good amount of them that I probably still don't believe, but in doing this story, it's really, really opened up the possibilities for me. And I think it's just a matter of, it's adjusted my way of looking at it, right? It's adjusted my way of looking at it and, and meeting certain people, being more open-minded about it and um, kind of accepting the realities of like what this would look like if it was actually discovered, Right. Yeah, like what, what if we had to ground it in, rather than saying like, oh, it happens. Like that doesn't constitute discovering something, right? If you say like, this is why. I think for me, I came in maybe a, even a bit more skeptical, right? Like I was like, I was, I was the one that you're going to send in to be like, why? I mean, this, this all started with like <laughs> emailing me different phenomena and being like, tell me why I shouldn't be surprised by this, right? Like why does science explain everything that's happening from like mysteriously breaking glasses to, <laughs> you know, whatnot, but like, I think I, it gave me an excuse to read a lot about this stuff. And I think like, yeah, there's, there's, there, there, there's some people out there that are doing the hard work of like trying to connect all of this stuff. And I think like very like generously speaking, it maps onto questions that are a lot more mainstream. I mean, like how often do you have people going on Nova or discovery or something and saying, look, like we don't understand human consciousness. You know, we don't, we we're only starting to scratch the surface. This is like a problem that like it doesn't matter if we made like chat GPT, like we, we still don't understand like how like a child, you know, is born and knows immediately like this or that, or like this, you know, basic fact about its existence. And so I think like, once you look at that, it's sort of like uh, the CIA document about the universe where it's like, even if you don't understand all of it, you're sort of left with this, like every time you think about these big questions, you're like, well, so many things are possible then if like, this is the limit to which we understand you know, consciousness or like the different sort of energy 
states of the universe, these different dimensions, or things like that. So it was it was, it was really it was really a cool sort of like subfield to look into. Yeah. Yes, and um, I think what's interesting to me is like if this is true, while doing this story and like seeing her operate, like I've been around the person that in question, I've seen her. She's done it to me many times. I've seen her do it to people. I've hung out with her a ton. Um, and it's not, it's not like every time, you know? It's, um, and she's the first person to admit that it's like, it's sort of like going into a junk drawer and just pulling stuff out. Um, it's not hitting every single time. Sometimes there's like, sometimes she's finding something, but it's weird. And like, maybe she's wrong about what it is, you know? She's just like seeing a, a thing and it's messy. It's like not something we're really good at. Um, so it's one of those things where we might not even have the tools to properly discover this yet, but maybe one day we will. I think it's funny, like like this type of stuff can be written off as like Joe Rogan stoner talk or whatever, but it's really not. And I don't think I like, in talking to you, who I brought on as a skeptic, it's like, and now we're kind of here, sitting here in harmony talking about this stuff. It's like, like it's actually not that big of a stretch to imagine this. This doesn't require like that much of a leap of faith when you think of it in this framework. And it's really exciting and scary. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like, it's definitely super exciting. I, I guess like depending on how you think about it, it could be a little scary. I think, I mean, again, going going back to like my, my sort of role as a scientific skeptic, I, I was like, I was very upset about like one possible outcome, which is that, I'm going to do all this reading and I'm going to figure out that like all of this stuff has been written off <laughs> like and even worse maybe written off like 50 years ago. And people are just like there's like maybe a some subset of people who are like we have disproven this forever. But I was so surprised to find that paper from like October 2022. Not that there was anything to really doubt in that paper, but Wait, wait, tell me about the paper. Tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah, so they're they're in, in Trinity College Dublin. So they're in Ireland and they and they're I don't know what their background is, but they have this interplay within physics, physics and neuroscience. And um, this group basically asked, well, <clears throat> is there something of a quantum nature going on in our brain? And the way that they chose to do this experiment, there's a method called NMR that, uh, that you know, basically uses a magnetic field to measure, um, to measure brain, brain activity. You can measure regions of the brain. You can also do this on individual um, molecules or, you know, things like that. People do NMR on proteins all the time. But, you basically apply a magnetic field um, to a sample, in this case a brain, and then you can measure, um, if, you, if you sort of tune this magnetic field, you, you can basically receive electromagnetic in information from these like nuclei that exist in the brain, of, of which there are obviously you know, trillions and trillions because <laughs> um, they make up everything within each atom. So you know, just sort of to paraphrase, they were like, they realized that, you know, well, this, this, this response of the nucleus could be construed as like a quantum effect that's happening because this is happening within an atom, literally quanta, and, and, and they're outputting this, this energy that we can measure. And, um, and they found a few of these correlations that they, it's all a little loosely sort of correlated, but they say, well, these don't seem to line up with any of the other NMR data that we've gotten before. Meaning that like we've, we've looked at NMR data when people are in different situations and they're given different drugs eaten versus not eaten, slept versus non-slept. And these, and these correlations don't, don't, aren't explained by any of this other stuff. They sort of like leave it as a sort of teaser, like 
this could be the thing. This could be the long force, you know, the long sought, like, you know, correlation of spins in the brain that suggests some amount of quantum entanglement, which you can, you can think of as just like two particles being linked to each other. Is that basically to say that there is evidence that seems to be pointing towards the fact that our body might be operating on a quantum level, basically a level that is way too small for us to even study at this point? There's things happening below even the surface of the surface. Um, you know, looking into that study and also a lot of papers that they cited unveiled that these it's it's really not just these guys that have been thinking about this. Um, it's a it, very interesting sort of subfield where people have sought out effects that you 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 might think that maybe quantum mechanics is the only way to explain them. And one final question, I guess, like this will be helpful for me too. For people, I mean, you know, you're a scientist yourself. That's why you're on here. Like, to people listening right now that normally consider themselves very skeptical, do not believe in non-tangible things, things that they can't see or perceive, like, is there anything that you would say to them about perhaps being open-minded about this stuff? Yeah. I mean, um, I think, like, there's always going to be scientific result. Like, I mean, for almost any scientific result, like, you know, you want it to be, for, for any scientific result, you want it to be proven again and again. You want to have, like, you know, like beyond a reasonable doubt that these things happen. But I think, like, you can, people can take the same track that I did where, you know, even just to, like, know that this stuff is being studied, it was very interesting just to, like, read what's going on. And I think for people who are, like, completely in doubt that, a, any of this phenomenon is happening or that it's worth studying or that it's of interest to people. I mean, there's some very easy things you can find with just a bit of Googling. And, you, you know, people can decide for themselves. If they're, if they're really skeptics, then they'll, then they'll want to look at data and they'll want to look at things. And I think there's some very interesting studies going on out there where people are keeping open minds um, unlike me, who's just discussing this stuff with you, people are actually doing the work. Um, and so people, you know, skeptics can gauge for themselves. And I think, like, at the very least, you you gain some insights into, here are some interesting new ways to think about the brain, think about energy, think about, you know, how our minds function and how maybe things that might affect your day-to-day, maybe not visions, but things like dreams or um, or hallucinations or the way that your brain responds to different um, to different type of impulses. Um, I think like, yeah, learning more and reading more is the, is the first step in sort of maybe opening yourself up to all the different questions that people are, you know, trying to figure out. Awesome. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, any, any final thoughts before we go? I mean, just that, uh, yeah, like we've sort of covered the, the state of the art in science is just like sort of brushing up against this stuff. And I, I am, I'm now sort of like looking towards all this stuff with a, with a keen eye, I feel like, you know, I know what, what buzzwords and stuff to look for uh, now that I know that there are people that are actively involved in this kind of work, and I just find it very interesting. Um, I'm just curious to see what happens. So I think people have been claiming to see ghosts and, you know, have contact with other dimensions and things like that for a long time. And maybe we're just starting to scratch the surface of what could be going on in our brains that actually create those images, create those sensations. 
All right, I want to thank Sidhu one more time for coming on and helping me work through that really dense document. If you want to know more or were confused by any part of that, I highly suggest reading through yourself because we barely scratched the surface. This document got declassified in 2003 and is fully available to read to the public. I'll try to put a link to it in the description. Otherwise, you could just find it by Googling the gateway process. Something I've noticed since starting this show is that there's a lot of people out there who are under the impression that we have things figured out a lot more than we actually do. It's easy to think that because we have a name for something, it means we know how it works, what it is, or why it happens. Sometimes when I bring up the paranormal in conversation, somebody will say, I don't believe in that. I believe in science. And that's kind of an absurd thing to say. Probably the only stance to take on all of this that I actually consider crazy. Science and what we call the paranormal are so often presented at being at odds with each other. But the more I work on this show, the more I think that's really not the case. Talk to anyone who works at the frontier of a scientific field and you'll realize how true that is. And once again, I just want to mention this one more time because I can't stop thinking about it. The lieutenant in charge of overseeing the entirety of Stargate Project, Frederick Holmes' Skip Atwater, went on to become the president of the Monroe Institute after leaving the army. Surely he had a reason for doing that. Maybe he knows something that we don't. So, could our brains be able to briefly perceive information we normally can't under certain conditions? If so, what would that feel like and how would we respond? Would our brains just filter it out entirely? I started this series back in July of last year and went in extremely skeptical. Now, I'm not even sure where I'm at. But I think what changed for me is that after talking to Wendy for so long and digesting her entire experience, which by the way, we barely scratched the surface of, and then discovering this document, something clicked for me. If it is possible for humans to astral project or perceive information the way Wendy does, it doesn't mean that we would be good at it. In fact, this is something brand new that we can only do under certain conditions. We would probably be really bad at it, but that doesn't mean it couldn't exist and that maybe one day we might get better at it. I don't know if this specific direction and theory is the key to understanding a lot of the mysteries we discuss in this show, but I will say that there are some submissions I've received that seem a lot more plausible to me now after learning some of the things I learned in the process of making this series. And I think a lot of you will enjoy hearing those stories when they finally come out. I'll just say that for me, there's a pre-Wendy and post-Wendy type of story. And I think a lot of you will really enjoy the post-Wendy episodes that will come out eventually. That brings me to the end of this mini-series. I want to thank everybody I interviewed one more time for opening up and sharing their stories with me. And I also want to thank all of you for listening. This is by far the longest series I've ever made of this type, and it was a big challenge. So thank you for coming along and letting me tell this very strange saga. This may be the end of this mini-series, but it's just the beginning in many other ways, and I'm certain you'll be hearing more from these guests in the future. In fact, I have an interview with Harmony going up on the new Otherworld Patreon this week. If you want to hear that, 
and contribute to the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash otherworld. This has been episode 24, The Gateway Process, and you've been listening to Otherworld. Otherworld is hosted and executive produced by myself, Jack Wagner. The theme song is by Cobra Man. The song you're hearing right now is Wildflowers by Rose City Band. Editing and engineering by Theo Schaefer and Theo Krantz. Yes, there's two Theos working on this. It's very confusing. The artwork for our show is by Cultisac Studios. This is an independent show, so please show us your support by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, and telling your friends. Like I said, if you want to support the show and get bonus episodes, including one with Harmony this week where we dive much deeper into the Wendy saga, you could do so at patreon.com slash otherworld. It's not officially announced yet, but it is up there and I'm starting to roll out content. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at otherworldpod on Instagram and Twitter. Also, if you or somebody you know has experienced something supernatural, paranormal, or unexplained, you could send us the story at stories at otherworldpod.com. 